What's up, everybody? We are back. Welcome to a very special edition of Real Chronicles brought to you by Realtalking.com. I'm your host, David. I am joined with the musical aficionado, the man who tap dances his way to League of Cinephiles every single week as one of the best hosts, Mr. Jack Renault. What is up, my friend? Welcome back. Not much. Thank you once again for having me. And I'm very excited for this movie because this has pretty much had a wavering position in my in my top 10 for the last five years. Yeah, I I love this movie. It's very difficult to talk about this with someone that's not as big on it as I am. Uh, we're going to celebrate the 70th anniversary of Singing in the Rain, which I think Jack and I may be on this, I th- the best musical of all time. I it, it, It's... It's that and West Side Story. They keep boxing each other out, and they have over the last few years. Um, I will say, I do think, though, for a fact, I think it's the best dance movie ever made. Yes. So I, 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 will, I will say that. That's always, and when, when the discussion comes between Singing in the Rain and West Side Story, I think what's always put Singing in the Rain on top is what you're talking about. The dance yeah. sequences in these in this film are the best ever, like not even close yeah, like I mean, ma- maybe American <laughs> in Paris, which also has Gene Kelly. Shout out to our buddy Helmer, who thinks that Gene James Kelly, Cagney. yeah, James yeah. Cagney, greater than Gene Kelly, maybe the worst take in the history of takes. <laughs> um, but no, yeah, no, no, no shade against Cagney; he's great, but yeah. Gene Kelly is on another stratosphere. So, can't mm-hmm. wait to talk about that with you. Uh, we're gonna dive deep into the movie. I was talking to uh, Jack off the line. I have about. 10 pages of notes so this should be this should be a fun one um but before we get into that let's get into some of the news of the week uh the big news i wanted to touch on is the fact that last week during our godfather conversation we didn't talk about merle and i think merle just needs a quick (laughs) shout out (laughs) um the only thing i want to say about merle and you can hear our companion podcast last week about the godfather um the most balls in the godfather trilogy Yes. Like, uh, mm, I, it's either him or Geary, and ironic that they both come within like 15 minutes yes. of each other. Every time I watch Godfather 2 and Merle just like, can I get a drink? I'm like, <laughs> do you, do you Bro. know? Do you know what you're talking to right now? And then Michael literally just talking about Merle with Merle sitting in front of him is the most boss move ever i, I uh, don't e- i don't even think he really addresses him by name or no he's like i don't know this merle like i don't know what he does i don't know what he lives on it just completely berates him and he's like i'm sitting right here dude <laughs> <laughs> is there anything else you want to add about merle because I, I i could not after you brought it up i'm like oh my god we didn't talk about merle so we had do you have anything you want to add uh just mama corleone's reaction when merle tries to kiss <laughs> her at the yes he, he only has a few scenes but Gotta love to hate Merle. And I, I gotta say, he if we were gonna do this, and I, I, I'm sad I forgot about Merle. He wouldn't even be in my worst characters because I have, I love every scene he's in. I think yeah, he's hilarious. I, I think I, yeah, exactly. I don't, I don't get annoyed by him. I just think it's, it's stupidly funny. Yep, I agree. Uh, but no, to real news. Uh, this is the last time I'm going to talk about this on the podcast. Um, Will Smith has been banned for ten years from the Academy Awards. Uh. I'm going to give you my two cents. I want to see if you agree. Um, 
the 10 years is whatever. I personally think this may be a life ban because if you really think about like, and a lot of, I haven't seen any articles really talk about this. Yes. He can still be nominated for an Oscar for his, whatever performance he, he does. And that's like, I'm not talking about him as an actor, but even after these 10 years, the Academy has to invite you. He can't just knock on the door of the Dolby in 10 years and say, what up? I'm here. Yeah. yeah. Um, the Academy still has to invite you. And while I think in 10 years, this probably will not be in people's memory unless it's brought up. I can't see the Academy just saying, Hey, welcome back in 10 years. What do you think? Yeah. It's, it's also just kind of interesting. Cause like, I mean, even if they like lower the ban, like how, how likely would they even be to nominate him? Like after, um, I think that's just kind of gone back to like a lot of people who have these like issues, like how, how many times has Russell Crowe been nominated since that whole, a beautiful mind thing. None, right? Master and commander. I don't even think he got it for that. Maybe like Cinderella man. And that might've been it. Like, like, like like once or twice. So, I mean, I can't see like how likely he'd be to get back in. Cause even if like the band lifts, they might still have like a bad taste in them in their mouths from the whole incident. So, yeah, I am 100% with you. And uh, we talked about it in our group chat about um, Smith as a whole. I'm like, as an actor, he may not even get back on his own merit. <laughs> I mean, it, look yeah, at yeah. look at the track record. He has three nominations in the past 22 years, two of them within a five-year gap, and then the rest of the time he's just been, you know, yeah, yes, he's a big name. He's a box office hit for the most part, but let's – just be real here you know what i mean like yeah people were talking about emancipation this year uh but it's also antoine fuqua i don't think he's a very good filmmaker and i uh-huh. also don't think training days as great as everyone talks about um we, you know we we've gone on record here on our oscar podcast denzel wins because russell does what he does if not no yeah. one would be talking about training day the way you talk about it now it's a good movie it's nothing mm-hmm. spectacular uh yeah. but yeah no i told i'm in agreement with you i it may be 10 years but it, with the body of work that he does it may not even be that and he, and we even got the fire the the fire marshals coming to <laughs> in agreement with us here uh next bit of news is i'm i love sp- anything sports related uh winning time the show based on the la lakers run in the 1980s has been renewed for season two have you checked that out, Jack? I've I've not, but I heard good stuff about it, so I need to. Uh, yeah, it's probably the best thing Adam McKay. Actually, no, because he did create Succession. He produced, <laughs> so never never mind. Uh, is he did he create it or was he just he, a showrunner? He's, he's an executive producer. EP, yeah, him and Fer- along with Will Ferrell, which I I love so much. It's funny every time I every time I watch an episode because I'm not. Anyone that skips the, the credits of uh, the opening credits yep. of Succession has no soul because that theme song slaps. It, it, it might be my favorite TV theme song. That and like The Simpsons, probably. It's up there. It's in my top ten for sure. Uh, yeah. But at the end of every credit, you just see executive producers Adam McKay and Will Ferrell. Will Ferrell, and I'm like, oh man, who would they, they? They went from Funny or Die to this. Literally the best <laughs> show on the television. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's it's fun. It's more of on the comedy end of it than more of the serious succession stuff. So it's it's good stuff. I think you I think you'd give you'd like it. Um, I know this is next up. I know this is your favorite film franchise, Jack. I know you've like, I think you you secretly want to 
come out on LOC and let everyone know when you host that this is your favorite favorite film franchise. But Brie Larson has joined the cast of The Fast and the Furious. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I love that. Um, <laughs> what did you think I was going to say? Well, at first I thought you were talking about The Godfather, but then you said come out and reveal it's my favorite. I'm like, I thought that was a known fact, but okay. <laughs> uh, but I mean, yeah, I, I first off, I was just surprised, but also not surprised that they're doing another Fast and Furious because it's one of the things where I just keep thinking, like, how much further can they push it? And I mean, Fast and Furious 9, we saw how far they pushed it. Uh, what, yeah. are your, what are your, I mean, quick, before we move on to the last topic, like, what are your thoughts on the the internet finding, you know how social media likes to find things to argue about? Yeah. The split of the because this is the last one, the Fast and Furious Ten split yeah. into two parts. I, in a world where I've lived through Deathly Hallows Part One and Two, through Twilight, whatever break, whatever the last one is, one and two, yep. I don't have a problem with it. But it seems like everyone seems to have a problem with it. Um, I don't really give a shit. But um, did you have yeah, an issue with that? I, I I don't really. I don't really care because I'm not going to like I'm not going to be rushing to see it. Um, it just only raises a question for me of like, what could they split like this movie into two movies for? Because like the other two, like you can kind of tell like th- yeah. it's got like a split in the middle part. But this will be like an original story. So I'm just interested. I'm just interested to see like, what are they going to split into two parts? Yeah, I'm not really like like you. I'm not huge on the franchise. I love the first one it peaked at five with the rock and then yeah and then i even like seven i like seven yeah yeah they've progressed eight is one of the worst for me and then the last one is just i couldn't help but laugh at how stupid it was yeah and yeah that's pretty much where i'm at there (laughs) and then the last bit of news was added to my agenda this week uh this morning actually with the the news that brian cranston and aaron paul are coming back for the final season of better call saul I remember when I first started watching Saul back when it first debuted, I was like, where did, when are we going to, it's not, it, I didn't feel like it wasn't going to happen, but where in the show would it happen? And we were actually just talking about this a few minutes before we got on. Um, The Aaron Paul thing of it all is easy. Yeah. Yeah. We're probably going to get a scene with him meeting or maybe more than one scene with him meeting Saul. And then the Cranston of it all is the, interesting one do you have any theories there i mean i i could only think cranston would come at the very end because i think cranston is kind of just more so still what it kind of just overlaps this entire show Mm -hmm. just walter white and the character like everything that's happening is going to lead up to this and we because we already know what happens from there so I think that comes like at the very end. I can uh, see that. But, but but I but I do think that you're right. We might get more involvement from Aaron than we would Brian Cranston. Yeah, like I don't like. I mean, like where do they? How how much of Brian can they really explore? Because like everything that we get when they meet, we like, get we got we get already. Breaking Bad. Yeah. Exactly. So it, it would pretty much just be, I guess, like Walter walking into his office and then roll credits, something like that. I don't know. Because right now, I, I, and it kind of, we can move into some of the stuff that we watch. Um, my DVR sucked in 2019, so I was unable to watch season five. And I just 
pretty it, uh, Netflix added it on Monday and I'm I'm done. Um the way season 5 I by the way I love season 5. Mm-hmm. One of, everything about that worked for me. The one thing I noticed is that I think it takes place 2 years before they're supposed to meet. So if we are looking at real time, non-covid related, we are now in 2008 or 2009. Because they meet in yeah. 2009, so they meet in season two. Season two yep. So we're in 2009 now. There's a good possibility that Aaron Paul may be more than a cameo. I think he can actually have a cup of an actual narrative to the, the following season, the last season, especially yeah. since we got Dean Norris in season five, mm-hmm. which was. Per- I hate that character. I don't like Hank. What? I don't like Hank. What? I, uh... I, I, I. Let me not say I don't like Hank. Hank, I didn't mind when he died. I'll say that because that's, by the by the time fair. we got to the end, like he knows it's Walter, and I think if he let if they were able to talk it out, there would be an understanding. Even though by that time Walter was pretty much lost, he was the kingpin, and yeah. But I I just I don't know. I just wasn't a huge fan of Hank. Uh, it's not Skyler hate. It's, I can't stand Skyler. I think Skyler is just a terrible, terrible. Seeing Kim Wexler on this show, and then mm-hmm. seeing Skyler, I'm like, oh yeah, this just makes me hate Skyler even more. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I I do agree with you. The the most interesting things going into the last season is does Saul die in the forward scene, the black and white scenes, mm. because. He says he'll handle it himself. So I wonder where that's where that goes. Um, and then like where Cranston ends up, unless it's a flash forward scene, meaning not that Walter White's alive, but we get a scene of them prior to them going away on their, you know, like he goes into into hiding. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. the only thing I could think of because that's kind of what they did with. Uh, El Camino. El Camino, yeah. 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 So that's the only thing I can think of. But I'm excited. I I, I hate that they split it into two parts. Mm-hmm. But the, we get it a month in advance. I mean, a month apart. I did a month or two apart. So it's not like we're going to be waiting too, yeah. too, too long. But yeah, that really excites me. But yeah, before we get into singing in the rain, going continuing with what we watch, I did see uh, finished up Better Call Saul. I'm finally up to date on Yellowstone. Um, Jack, get on that, man. I, <laughs> I, I understand. Will. Listen, I'm 35. I show my age by loving Yellowstone. It is an old people show, but it really isn't. Like, it, it, it's. If you like Hell or High Water, this is going to be right up your alley. It is essentially it's succession meets a Cowboys. western. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's so awesome. Uh I won't spoil anything, but I'm very interested as to where they go. And I also feel this is one of those shows that we're nearing the end. There's only a little how much story they can tell. Um, and they already have like three other spinoffs. So, yeah, I was going to say, they don't need to worry about extending it like Walking Dead did. Exactly. Um, I saw a show I can't talk about for another two weeks, uh, but it's an offer you can't refuse. That's all I will say about that. Um Movie-wise, I'm going to leave your suggestion for last, my friend. <laughs> I saw... Um, I I kind of just wanted to get away from serious films for a few days and just, like, 
enjoy myself. So I went on a complete horror binge. Uh, yeah. I saw this movie called Dead Heat. Have you have you heard of that? I've I've heard of it. I've not seen it. So I'm gonna uh, rather than tell you what it is, I'm just gonna read you the premise. Okay. When a dutiful when a dutiful LAPD officer named Roger Mortis tries to apprehend robbers that happen to be zombies, he ends up as one of the undead himself. That is the premise of the movie. Well, it's a good 86 minutes, so I'm definitely gonna have to check that one out. <laughs> stars, stars the great Joe Piscopo as well. So, uh, yeah, it's and Darren McGavin is the villain. Oh, <laughs> oh, he was a he was a picture round question once upon a time. And also, the great Vincent Price is in it as well. Ooh, yeah, I'm definitely gonna have to check yeah. this it's, out. It's awful. It's just okay. It's yeah. so awful. But I, yeah, I think you'll. I think you. I think you'll have a good time. It's the awful that I've kind of been suggesting to you lately. Yeah. Um, I also saw Fate to Black. Did you get a chance to see it? Uh, not yet, but okay, I do cool. have that on my priority So, list. for anyone that hasn't seen it, it's awesome. It's a movie. It's based. It's a the premise is a cinephile that's kind of like an out outcast that starts killing people in homages to classic Hollywood films. That's all you need to know. It is <laughs> the real the, the real takeaway. I think you'll have is how they were able to get clips of those movies in this movie because while he's doing the kills, you have cl- you're clipped. To the like the the original the clip? original clip. Dang, what was the budget for this movie? <laughs> Not a lot. I think less than two million. Mm. Yeah, actually, you you made your. I'm very curious now because <laughs> I I think it was less than two million. Um, it was a total of oh no, less than two million, one point eight. Oh, oh wow. Yeah, I don't <laughs> think they legally use those clips. That's all I got. Yeah. I mean, who was this movie distributed by? It clearly doesn't have like a huge swell. Otherwise, no. This is distributed yeah. by Compass International and American Cinema. That that's a green that's a green flag for any movie I watch. Like I've never heard of this production company. Let's go. Yep, I I agree. Um, but it's good. I actually, you know, it's not the best movie in the world, but I actually do like the actual premise of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw Summer of '84. I don't know if you've seen that. So this is actually a modern film it's more on the stranger things type of level uh it came out in 2018 uh premiered at sundance uh it, it pretty much touches on a killer within a small town uh it's really good v- very very solid score uh, i saw alone in the dark which is just a delight jack palance uh, martin martin landau donald pleasance that's all you need to say okay <laughs> uh and then I saw the Evil Dead trilogy. I hate you, Helmer. Evil Dead is a masterpiece. I don't. I don't. I don't know. I don't know how. Ar- yeah. Army of Darkness is his favorite of the three. That's the worst of the four, <laughs> including the remake. I think that's the worst one. I. I. A funny story. I hadn't seen Army of the Darkness in fifteen years, fifteen, sixteen years. I usually just like watching the first two. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Army of Darkness is fine. It's not bad, but mm-hmm. Evil Dead is. Just like, Evil Dead One's definitely my favorite. I joke. Evil Dead Two is like Sam Raimi said, "I have money, so let me just remake the first movie with a budget." Because that's yeah. essentially what Evil Dead Two is. It's a remake of the first one. Because it, if, you, I, if I, you, I watched it for the first time, I watched it. I was like, "Wait, why is this just like so much like the first one?" I was because like, I didn't watch it again, did I? 
And it's funny because if you watch the first one, um, he dies at the end. Yeah, yeah. Or it's kind of left it's on going, big, but it, I, I assume, yeah. So when you get to Evo Dead 2 for the first time, you're like, wait a minute, why is... Why are we getting another Linda's girl? Yeah, another Linda. What's what's what the hell's going on here? But it's fun. I have a great time with it. And the remake is also one of the best horror remakes of that era, the two thousand, the aughts and the early two thousand ten era. I think it's a very solid remake. Um, and then the last thing I oh I saw everything everywhere all at once again. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't want to use the M word because I already used it for the Batman this year, but it's it it's close. Yeah. Um, the movie this time around, like I. I actually haven't read my review because I really just I needed a second viewing to just justify everything that I feel. Yeah, the yeah. movie really it's it's close to perfect. It really has a lot of the themes that it everything that is like a lot of people can say, hey, it's a mother daughter story. But I think it's not just a mother daughter story. It's a story about a failing marriage and one of the parties involved realizing what made that marriage work to begin with. And as yeah. someone that's married, I don't have any problem with my marriage but like i can see that like that's you always have to have that medium between both where both personalities help each other out and i think the movie encap encapsulates that really really well um i'm not gonna spoil anything else because you haven't seen it yet but then i saw a movie that you made me see <laughs> it's called house not that there is a 1980s house which i do love i don't know if you've seen that I've heard of it. I haven't seen that one either. De- delight. Delight. Um, I don't know what... Th- I don't even know how to explain this. I don't know what the <laughs> fuck I watched. <laughs> yeah. That, that was my first reaction to when I saw it. So, I, I do want to say this. It's at 92% on RT. I think it's fine. Like, don't get me wrong. I think I gave it on Letterboxd. I went 3 out of 5. So, it's not like I gave it like, yeah, a shit yeah. review. I'm never going to watch this movie ever again. I'll say that. That's fair. Two... I feel I understand frenetic editing and frenetic pacing, but I think the editing in this movie is just like it is like I don't know if it's bad. I don't. I can't even call it bad because I feel like that's their incent. Like they're yeah. They, I think they kind of just decided to just say like fuck it and just oh go as crazy as they could. Like and what, yeah, <laughs> you know where do, where do I start? Like there's a head on an ass. Like. <laughs> There's like random dream sequences. We got a we got a Princess Leia ch- cameo. Like it is like just some bad shit crazy. I I got nothing. Jack, you're a fan <laughs> of it, so I'll let you talk. Yeah, I mean, I completely get everything that you're saying. It was a movie that I saw for the first time, and I was just like, "What is this?" But that's kind of the stuff that I like in movies because I also thought that it was like. I thought it was pretty funny, honestly. Sometimes I rewatched some of the parts at, on Friday when you were watching it, and I was just like, "Yeah, this is." Now that I've seen it, and it's like less jarring. Like it's actually pretty funny, and especially my... Uh, my favorite character in the movie is Kung Fu. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, a- everything that she does is just like hell yeah. And mind you, this is coming from the guy that recommends a lot of weird, crazy shit, and this was even too like what the fuck for me. So yeah. Um. Definitely check it out. I think everyone should definitely check it out. This is not a movie that should not be seen, but it's it definitely left me on a, a wreck, and not in yeah. an emotional way, just a wreck. <laughs> like I felt like I took acid and sniffed some cocaine for about two hours. Yeah, it, that's a good analogy. It was something. But Jack, what about you? What did you watch that you want to highlight? Well, I actually had 
pretty busy week at school, so not too much. Uh, only two things. One of them is from you, so <laughs> thanks for that. The, the first thing that I'll talk about is uh, I've been rewatching a lot of... Uh, I don't know how much reality TV you watch. I don't watch a whole lot, but the one show that I do love is Survivor. I've uh, been a big Survivor fan my whole life. Uh, and I, it's also just one of the reality shows that I really appreciate for its editing because they basically... They're really good at making narratives out of these players throughout the 39 days, and they're really good at like making heroes and villains. And I've really began to appreciate more of that aspect as I've been rewatching older seasons. Um, so if you haven't seen it, I, it's really entertaining. Uh, def- definitely check it out. There's a lot of seasons, so it's kind of hard to know like where to start from, but. There, there are definitely good seasons for beginners to get into. Um, and then, of course, what you put me on, Basket Case. Yes. By Frank M. Lauder. Yes. I'll go ahead and reiterate what you said about House. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. It, you, you've already put me on a few 80s horror movies, and <laughs> I... Cocaine was real in the eighties, my friend. Cocaine yeah. was real. I I was talking to you about this specifically, but I usually end up watching a lot of movies on my laptop and I use headphones <laughs> because I I enjoy when I'm watching horror movies sometimes I enjoy the sound design. Like Alien, for example, is one mm-hmm. that I always watch with headphones because that sound design just like scares the shit out of me. But Basket Case might be the most unpleasant sound. <laughs> I might have seen in my whole life. Uh, <laughs> and we, we've already talked a lot about the noise. What's the name of the monster again? It's like Baylil or something like Hold that. Hold on, I'll get you the exact name because I don't want to butcher it. it um, it's something like that. Um, and that's, noise- it's, not a, it's not a monster, Jack. Okay, yeah. I, 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 mean, what, I, don't, I don't know what I want <laughs> to call spoil it. Don't spoil it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to call it that. Uh, but yeah, whatever it is, it's just... <laughs> You can talk about it. I'm still at a loss of words for what I saw. I remember the first time that I saw it. It was uh, thanks to Shutter. I I I, I don't I don't give this streaming service enough love on the podcast. Shutter is as much as I love horror. Shutter has been such a a blessing for me to find some of these movies because because they're so obscure. Amazon's not going to have them. Netflix is not going to have them. But Shutter. It's a directly horror streaming service, and not it's only five dollars a month, so it's very much a great investment if you want to see a lot of this stuff. First time I saw Society was on there. First time I saw Basket Case. First I saw Brain Damage, Cannibal Holocaust. All that stuff is on there. Um, so <laughs> you made you made a very interesting comment, and I wanted to uh, pro- give you props on that. I mean. When you when you said it, I thought about it, and I'm like, maybe he's right in a way. You said it's the grossest film you've ever seen. It's it, it's in the conversation. It's it's now probably going to be in the conversation for a while. I do see where you mean. So certain scenes are pretty, and the the I'm gonna say the individual himself is a very it, interesting design. Yeah, not 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 to mention. And I, I I keep harping on this because it's just so <laughs> the freaking sound. It's just like that combined with the way that he looks. It's just. Uh... You want to talk about that scene? Yeah, let's do it. Uh, 
<laughs> uh, picking up the lamp. I, I love. I love switching from like the real hands to uh the practical to like the, the practical effects because it's it's really hard to do that like it, it like i love watching the 1933 king kong and seeing like where they flip from like actual like getting filmed to like the rear screen projection techniques that they were doing um but in this movie the switches from like the real hands to the practical effects <laughs> man <It's> my favorite, <laughs> that's one of my favorite scenes in the movie to be honest in in an in a lol way because the I, that scene and we're talking about the scene where he screams, right? And then the pole yeah, he, just just slips up into his hand. Yeah. And then he just like throws the dresser, but like he, you, it goes so fast you hardly see him throw it. So I, the one comparison that if anyone that hasn't seen it for what this individual looks like, he is the horror version of Krang from uh, Ninja Turtles. Yeah, that's a that's a good comparison. <laughs> um, the ending. You want to talk about the ending real quick with the with the. It's a heartfelt ending, right? It's like King. It's like the end of King Kong, Jack. Yeah, kind of, <laughs> kind of. Uh, I will say the one the one thing about King Kong that I do like though is that I was able to gain some like sympathy and feel for the character. You didn't I, feel bad at all at the end. I mean a little bit, but also like I didn't have the same like emotional attachment to the thing. I guess I'll call it. Yes. Uh, that I did Kong. So. Same here. I know I agree with you. And I also yeah. wanted to I wanted to give props to the scene that you brought up with the the doctor. Yes. 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 Uh, also, um, I'm not sure which character it was, but whoever the girl was that uh, got attacked and then had like all the like was it syringes like mm-hmm. sticking out. <laughs> That was one of the most like over the top screams in a movie. It, it reminded me a lot of Madeline Kahn, honestly. Wait, sc- wait till brain damage, my friend. <laughs> I can't. Look, I will say brain damage is not as gross, but it does have a scene that I know will stick with you for a very, very long time. Okay. So okay. be on the lookout next time Jack's on for that one. But yeah, anything else you wanted to plug, or is that that's it? Oh, uh, that was it. Yeah. All right, awesome. All right, so let's get into it. It's time to uh, dance our way into the <sighs> most magical musical I've ever seen, Singing in the Rain. Um, we'll kick it off the same way we kicked off last week. First viewing experience watching it. When was that, and what do you remember from it? Well, I got into musicals pretty much like a lot of people my age after I saw La La Land. Um, and then I started to read about all the movies that influenced Damien Chazelle, and then I started to seek them out. Um, and then I saw Singing in the Rain, and it immediately stuck with me. And the more I've watched it over the years, I've definitely appreciated it more for its um, the cleverness to its satire, especially now being like a real cinephile and understanding the time period that it's mm-hmm. made. Um, and yeah, like I mentioned earlier, it's pretty much held a it's pretty much held a stake in, in my top 10. It's it's peaked at like number two, I think, at one point. Uh, right now it's sitting at like nine or ten, but I've, I've loved it still ever since I first saw it. Yeah, for me it was uh, way before La La Land. Um, yeah. I kind of, I, I'm a lot older, so I, yeah. that's, <laughs> so I uh, kind of on the same level as you, I was just trying to go grow my palate in terms of like things that I see, and this is kind of like 
the the few months that I decided to just start watching musicals to see how I feel about them. And, you know, West Side Story, Singing in the Rain, all that stuff. And then when I got to sit, when I saw Singing in the Rain, I was, I thought it was already interesting, not knowing what the satirical aspect of it with old Hollywood was. But um, once I got to make them laugh is when, like, it went from, like, already, like, intrigue to amazement because not knowing what I know now about that sequence it was amazing as it was but from there the movie goes into a a 10 in terms of dance sequence after dance sequence after dance sequence and we get to the one that you and I will talk about later um which is Gene Kelly's final big number and I don't think people give that scene a lot enough credit because everyone just looks at singing in the rain as the essential song of that movie and obviously it's a titular titular song but it's not the best. I'd actually say it's in my favorite, but it's yeah. not the best. I think. I, I, I don't even think I can pick a favorite, honestly. Like, I, I we'll get into it later. But yeah. we were doing our list for the best song and dance numbers, and I've got six written down. And I was just, I kept thinking to myself, I was like, do I have too many? But I, I just feel if I took any of these out, it would feel unbalanced. I agree. I, I, I think all these are just so good and all of them need and deserve to be talked about. And that's why I'm um, glad that you're here with me today, too, because I know if I forget something, you're not. So we could definitely we're probably going to talk about everything there. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to go ahead and I'm, I'm not sure if we want to do to do this later, but we got to talk about the overall filmography of Gene Kelly. We can do that right now, actually, because. <laughs> Because I mean, acting. What I mean, he's. I don't think he's like some great actor, actually, but I don't think he's like some like incredible like actor. But hold, actually, hold that to when we get to the last category where we looked at who peaked with this movie and who had. Okay. The, and then we could actually run through. Actually, have his filmography up already. So when we get to that, we can we can dive into that. Um. Okay. But let's get let's start off with the production of the film. Uh. Not too difficult of a production but some of the stuff that i wanted to touch on was arthur freed the head of the freed unit at ngm was responsible for the studio's musicals at the time he conceived the idea of the film uh based on a catalog of songs written by himself and nasio her brown and called Uh in betty uh compton and adolph green from new york to come up with a story to tie the songs in together um Compton and Green first refused the assignment as their agent had assured them that their new contract with MGM called them to write lyrics uh, to all songs unless the score was by Irvin Berlin, Cole Porter, or Rodgers and Hammerstein. Uh, After a holdout, uh, their new agent, uh, Irving Lazar, looked over the contract, told them that the clause had been entirely an invention of their previous agent and that there was no such language in their new contract. After hearing this, they both began working on the story and script. Because many of the songs had originally been written during the time when silent films were giving uh, way to the talkies and musicals were popular with the audiences, Condon and Green came up with the idea that the story should be set during the transitional period between in Hollywood between the end of the, the silent era to the talkies. Ironically, Chazelle will be doing this a similar thing this year. Um, but I now knowing what I know and you knowing what you know, I think this is probably the best idea for this film just 
I always I love old Hollywood. I love old Hollywood stories, mm-hmm. and I don't even think we have enough stories about the transition from the talkies to from the silent era to the talkies. I think there's. I'm glad Chazelle is doing this because there's not enough, and I think Singing in the Rain right now is the perfect iteration of that transition. Um, when it comes to Gene Kelly, do you know the backstory on how he got involved? Um. Well, I would presume it would be through Stanley Donnan because I know that they had worked together a couple times before this. So they wanted to approach him originally, but they couldn't because he was immersed in American in Paris. Oh, sure. Yeah. So right right when they started thinking about making the film, he was um, working on the choreography in the film itself so that he couldn't, he couldn't be involved. Uh, eventually, obviously, he became involved and there were revisions from early drafts of the script do you know what they are uh i know that um well, may- well maybe i'll get into them later but you go ahead because i don't want to so speak about stuff that we'll talk about later i think you'll know this in the earlier draft of the script singing in the rain was to be sung by demi Re- reynolds o'connor and kelly together oh oh and then they just had it for the opening then yeah so emerging from the restaurant after the flop preview of the dueling cavalier so that was the original idea before, not the opening, but before Gene. The actual number in the movie was supposed to be the three of them. So not mm. just Gene himself. Uh, Gene Kelly singing You Were Meant For Me to Reynolds on an empty soundstage was not included in the original draft of the film. Uh, Rita Moreno, which yep, yep, yep. was originally to have sung the lead in I've Got Feeling You're Foolin' with other showgirls, but it ended up being part of the beautiful girl montage without her. Would have been interesting. Yeah, she is in it, but it's she is. It's too bad she got. I think she had a song and other scenes cut. I think she was supposed to be in the movie a lot more, but and I do have yeah. I do have a section where we're just going to have some facts about the film. But this one's actually interesting that I brought it to the production of it. Uh, in order to make the film family friendly and have the uh, a rated G rating, uh, the PCA pushed for uh, costuming and delivery of lines to be appropriate for women where their bodies were clothed and dialogue was said in less sexually offensive ways, which is interesting. Good old Hayes code. Yes. And then there was a couple of scenes cut. Uh, Reynolds' rendition of You Are My Lucky Star mm-hmm. was cut mm-hmm. after the previews. Uh, Gene Kelly's song sang a reprise of All I Do Is Dream Of You after the R.S. Simpsons house where Kelly chases Reynolds and the song ending in Kelly's bedroom was cut from the release similar to the ratings and the footage has been lost i i actually heard i i feel like i saw that the clip of gene kelly singing uh all i do is dream of you because it was after the party after she drives away i believe it was either that or it came on i have the soundtrack on vinyl actually um but i know i've heard that version before but i know it's not in the movie um no so yeah the reap the reap uh no, you are right. Yeah, you are right. And then this I did don't remember, so you can um there's a vamp dance segment, a steamy vamp dance segment at the end of the Broadway Melody Ballet. Do you remember that? I can't say that I do. I can't say I have seen that before. Yeah, it was it was originally in the film and then it was cut on another version of it, so I'm not sure if that exists anywhere. Uh now we get to the box office and release of the film. The movie was released uh premiered on March 27, 1952 at Radio City Music Hall. And it premiered, it went wide April 11th, 1952. I think if this movie releases today, it will be released in November. 
Yeah. And yeah. maybe what, what we're going to talk about in the next section is the reason why this movie did not get the respect it deserves in every single category. Um, budget $2.54 million. It made a uh, box of $7.2 million. So respectable for the time. Uh, now we get to a section I like to call the trophy room where we look at the awards that Singing in the Rain got. I'm going to leave the worst for last because it's not that much. Um, so we're, I'm going to talk about AFI as well, but it did win WGA for Best Written American Musical, which can we bring that back? I mean, it, do we get enough it, musicals anymore? I, I was going to say, if we get, if we have the numbers to show for it, then yeah, bring it back. Um, it also won, was nominated for a musical or comedy at the Globes, but it did win Best Actor in, uh, in an actor, Best Actor in a most, uh, musical or comedy for Donald O'Connor. Much deserved there. I thought Very he was free. so great. Yes. Although supporting, you think? Yeah, when we get to the Oscars, I'll talk about that. DGA uh, nominated for DGA. Uh, Stanley Donovan and Gene and Kelly. Gene Kelly. And then we get to. <laughs> BAFTA was nominated for Best Picture, and that's it. <laughs> and then we get to the Oscars. Um, I, you want to let everyone know what won that year? All right. <laughs> so, greatest show on earth, I can confirm, was not the greatest show that year. Because uh, it was also not. nominated among the bunch was High Noon, uh, directed by... Uh, but Gary Cooper, that incredible Western movie, but not nominated for Best Picture in 1952, Singing in the Rain. What a preposterous move. So I did a little math in my head. My prediction would have been picture. Not I think it should have won picture, but if we're doing nominations, yeah. picture, director, Kelly and actor. Reynolds and supporting actress, uh, O'Connell in supporting Pretty actor, actor, production design, score, screenplay, cinematography. So right now we're at nine. Yeah, uh, actually, you know what? I have, I, I have, I did the same thing. I've got all the same ones, but instead of oh, instead of Reynolds for supporting actress, I still kept Gene Hagen in here. Interesting. Okay, I I think that that nomination was very well deserved. I mean, but unless I, but you, I, but I would also put Reynolds in here too. Unless because O'Connor O'Connor in supporting feels good. Do you think though that um, Reynolds is lead? It's tough, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, I think it would be okay at the time if you would have put Reynolds in lead and leave Gene in supporting, and then uh -huh. you have a double the. It, I, th I mean, all four of them should have been nominated. I I don't understand. Yeah, the, yeah. The, I don't. I I mean, we we question the Oscars all the time. This is this is one of the, especially knowing great uh Greatest Show on Earth one picture and that movie is not good. It's, and and all and also like, I'm I'm almost pretty sure that the motivation that year was Cecil B. DeMille. He had never won a competitive Academy Award. Mm -hmm. Wasn't sure if he was going to get a chance to. Just wait four years and give it to him for Ten Commandments, because Around the World in 80 Days wasn't that great either. And Ten, Ten, Comman Ten Commandments, I don't even love, but that certainly would have been a more notable Best Picture winner, I think. Ten Commandments is very interesting. I like the movie fine. It's yeah. just wait. I mean, it's the Hollywood epic era, but it's way, 
way too long. Yeah. Uh, I'll go back to other Hollywood epics before I go back to that one. Yeah, for sure. I, I'm with you. Beautiful cinematography, though. It's like yeah, the, the, yeah. Tec- the technical arrow at its and, finest. And Vis- Vista Vision, too. Yes. Yeah. Uh, now we get to AFI, which they knew how to correct every single mistake. There's a lot here, so bear with me. 1998, it was ranked number 10 in 100 Years, 100 Movies. In 2000, 100 Years, 100 Laughs, it was it was ranked number 16. In 2002, it was ranked 100 Years, 100 Passions, number 16. In 2003, it was ranked 100 Years, 100 Heroes and Villains. Lena Lamont was nominated for Villain. Um, in 2004, 100 Years, 100 Songs, singing... They got three in here. Number three no. was Singing in the Rain. Make Up Laugh was number 49. Good Morning was 72. Good Morning's a little low. I would put that a little higher. Yeah, yeah. I, I Again, we've got our picks for like the best songs but i do think those are the three standouts for sure i, I might i might have my own preferences but i think those are the three that should be on the list for sure in, in 2005 uh the quote for 100 years 100 movie quotes lena lamont's quote why do they think i what do they think i am dumb or something why i make more money than calvin coolidge put together put together nominated and then in 2006 it was afi ranked this as the number one musical of all time and then in 2007, which we need another another one ASAP of this, 100 Years, 100 Movies, it was ranked the number five greatest movie of all time. That's what's up. But yeah. nah, nah, we don't need to give it any Oscars. Let, 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 forget about that. All right. What's age the best? Okay. Uh, Hollywood satire. Yes. Yeah, I think Hollywood satire is definitely the biggest thing. Um Here's another one. I'm not sure how popular they were at the time, but I know that they've certainly kind of started to make a comeback. Jukebox musicals. I would certainly consider this one of them because all these songs were pre-existing yeah. and popular beforehand. That's a good point. Uh, the last thing I have here, pretty much all of Donald O'Connor's jokes in the movie. I think he's still to this day, even since the first time I saw it, he makes me laugh so much. I mean... I think his chemistry with Kelly is It's unreal. I mean, I I, I will talk more about this when we go into filmography, but like Gene Kelly, Frank Sinatra, that's just a golden duo right there for me. That's the three movies that they made together will always just be comfort watches for me. But oh, yes, you know, it's funny. I don't have it. And I think you probably will. when We talk about favorite musical numbers. Um, Moses supposes is like such a good scene. Oh, my. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. I'm sure you'll talk will. about that. Yeah, uh, I totally will. For me, uh, just the sequence make him laugh. Everything about that sequence just really has aged really well for me. Uh, the musicals, because I think before then musicals were around, but not on the elite level that we had. We have Fred Astaire and the Ginger Rogers, but I think this just put it on another stratosphere, and it's kind of taken off from there. Um, you'll probably <laughs> all right. Hear me out here. Okay. The use of "Good Morning" in every single commercial and in, in media today, I feel yeah. like I hear that song every year in a car commercial or some form of commercial. So I think that song's aged the best. Um, mm-hmm. Dance sequences in film, I think that just aged so so well. Um, hear me out again, Damien Chazelle. Yeah, yeah. The pretty, have you seen all those memes where it's like that scene in Casino and it's like, you wouldn't exist out here because of me, uh, 
because of me. Yep. The, this is Singing in the Rain with Damien Chazelle. I always look at, I remember the first time I saw Lala, and listen, this is no shade on Damien Chazelle. He's one of my favorite film workers working today, like by bar now. And I adore La La Land. It's one of my favorite films, like ever. Um, I remember watching La La Land for the first time in that sequence in the second song uh, where, um, where they go to the party in Hollywood. Yeah. Yeah. And they're driving to the party and it's similar to the Broadway melody when they're showing different parts of Hollywood. I was like, oh, that's directly from Singing in the Raid. Um, so, yeah, Chazelle definitely is one of those that has aged beautifully because of Singing in the Rain. Um, Gene Kelly. I think American in Paris is yeah. what won in Best yeah, Picture. I, I... But I think this is the quintessential what we remember Gene Kelly the most for. Uh, yeah, I've, I've I've got Gene Kelly. We'll talk about him when I when we talk about who slash what peaked. But For I sure. mean, Gene Kelly. I think again again we'll go we'll go into him when we talk about the filmography. But I think like the forty five through fifty two run of Gene Kelly is just unreal. And I think despite the fact that he's got so many good and consistent works, he's one of the few people who I think you can just point to and with little to no debate just go that's the best work. Yep. I, I, I think a lot of actors and a lot of people can have like some good debates about what their best like work is, but I think it's pretty easy for Gene Kelly. And then what, when we move on to what's aged the worst, I'll start this one off. Gene Kelly yeah. again for a couple of reasons. Uh, yeah. No one has been able to match what Gene Kelly has done in a film dancing since then. So in a way mm-hmm. we kind of peaked with him when it comes to uh, actors dancing in film I think it's there are great dancers out there but I don't think anyone has touched Kelly but also and I think you'll probably have this in yours too just the all the stuff between that Gene Kelly on set he was very difficult to work with mm-hmm. um, yes yes uh, apparently his uh, apparently he was pretty rude with uh, Debbie Reynolds yes uh, and one night she and one night she was crying underneath the piano and who walks in to comfort her and help her Fred Astaire oh that's great that's yeah. a good story uh and the only other thing I have for because I think this movie is close to perfect is what's age worse silent film actors from the era that had off-putting voices yeah uh, that was one of the things that I've I was doing my research about singing in the rain and looking at like silent movies and that kind of stuff and it just really goes to show like how rough of a transition this really was for Mm -hmm. some people. I mean, there were people in the silent era who were like huge stars, but when this, when the switch made or when they made the switch to talkies, not everybody was able to jump ship as easy as some people. So there are definitely stars who were certainly really popular in like the 1910s and 1920s who were just be gone with the times. It's very interesting too, for guys that really, and this is not, Talking on talking about anyone in this movie, but the transition from talk from uh, silent to talky, I think some people actually became bigger stars after like Cary Grant, Clark Gable, mm-hmm. like they exploded after they got into the talkies just for their unique their unique perspective that they brought to the to the industry. Uh, so yeah, I, I I think that aged 
really bad for certain actors that just couldn't transition. And that's why I'm, that's what's exciting so much about Babylon. The fact that we're probably going to really dive into how difficult that transition was. Uh, what about you? What, what has aged the worst for you? If you have anything? Uh, yeah, just like you, it was really hard for me to find anything. The only thing that I've, I, I rewatched the movie last night. The only thing that I was like, Oh wow, this doesn't really hold up. It's the interaction with uh, Don Lockwood and the, Don Lockwood and that police officer. I watched that. I'm just like, dang. Like he just like does not give a crap about what Debbie Reynolds' characters has to say. Uh, that's one of the things that's like, wow, that's so upsetting. But I mean, yeah, like you said, this movie's just seventy Perfect. years, and it, it's so hard to talk bad about it. All right, and before we get into the final couple of categories, I, this is feels like the perfect time to talk about the our favorite dance sequences and songs in the film. Um. You have six, so I'm going to go with my four because I know mm-hmm. you'll probably uh, finish up what I'm missing here. So Singing in the Rain, obviously, especially knowing what he had. He was had a 104-degree fever when he filmed that mm-hmm. scene, and that scene still worked perfectly. Um, yeah. A lot of people look at um, that as the most famous scene in the movie, and I, you know, I can see why. The Broadway melody, I think it's very underrated. I love everything about that scene, and it's it's his American in Paris for scene. He goes mm-hmm. on for a good, I believe it's a thirteen minute scene. I think it's like fourteen or fifteen, yeah. Yeah, and it's just him as they as the kids say now they cook. They let him cook. <laughs> he just yeah. like went on and did his thing, and it's an incredible, incredible dance sequence. Um. Good morning, obviously. Uh, mm-hmm. I, 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 I got a trivia question for you. Did you catch what song they sampled in Good Morning? They're doing the kick line with the raincoats. I'm thinking. I can't remember. What is it? It's an American in Paris. Oh, wow. I, I'm, that's crazy. I never even noticed that. It's a good, that's a good poll. Yeah. Uh, and then my favorite dance sequence in the movie is make them laugh i mean that's everything works and i'm gonna get to in the fun facts about like actually i'll just bring it up now so yeah. for make him for make him laugh gene Ke- gene kelly asked donald carnet to revive a trick he had done as a younger dancer running up a wall and completing a somersault the number was so physically taxing for o'connor who smoked four packs of cigarettes a day that he ended up in the hospital for a week after its completion he suffered from exhaustion and painful carpet burns. Unfortunately, an accident ruined all of the initial footage. So after a brief rest, O'Connor agreed to do the number all over again. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, he, that that number is so good. It's actually and, very and, funny. It actually is a it is funny yeah. number. It, it still holds up, especially with uh, like all of his mannerisms, like him like adjusting his face still yes. really works. Him with like the dummy doing like the. The hand on the thigh still really works. Um, but yeah, I mean, all those numbers are really good. Uh, and then to kind of extend on what happened to him, uh, Debbie Reynolds once said the two hardest things that she ever had to do in life was childbirth and singing in the rain. <laughs> so I'm sure the same probably has to be said for the rest of the people because these dance sequences are hard and they pretty much look like they're done in one shot. So Oh, yeah. Uh, did, I know I missed some sequences. So what do you have? All right. So we de- we match on singing in the rain. Good morning. 
and make them laugh. I do have uh, the Broadway melody in for an honorable mention. Yep. Uh, another honorable mention I have, um, All I Do Is Dream Of You. Yeah. I, is, I, yeah. I, I love that number. It's a really fun number, especially getting to see Debbie Reynolds have to like be in the number and then also be embarrassed because Don Lockwood's watching her do it. Uh, the ones that you didn't mention, uh, Fit as a Fiddle. Mm. So fun, especially that circular dance move they do near the end. That yes. still still wows me to this day. Um, you were meant for me. Honestly, it might it might be my favorite love song in a musical. I love the setup for it with the soundstage. That's a really beautiful moment. And then Moses supposes. Probably it, the best procrastination ever. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. That's one that's grown on me a lot ever since since the first time I saw it. I didn't think I kind of just flew by me the first time I, I saw the movie, but it's it it really has grown on me. It slaps really, really, really well. Um It reminds me a lot of uh the Nicholas Brothers. Mm-hmm. Uh if if you've seen any of their work, uh they're also a really good dancing pair. Uh this really isn't a memorable scene in terms of the dancing but the last time that you singing in rain at the end when the reveal is done yeah that's, i really like that it's it's so fun it's also one of one of the best emotional payoffs i can think of yes i especially totally when, agree. They, when they start circling and then just start pulling start everyone's just everyone's here for it it's like yes um oh also not really I guess it should have been more in the age best because it's really funny when the dueling when they dueling cavalier premieres. <laughs> the pre- the previews with all the yes. All the sound. Oh my god, it's hilarious. If if you've ever had to record sound footage for anything, you can understand how like stressful that is. Like getting small noises in the back, it's like damn it. It's so funny. Um, all right, some some categories before we finish up. Uh, my my favorite category here, the Joe Spinell Award. That guy award. Shout out to uh, the Rewatchables for assisting in the creation of this one. Uh, Joe Spinell, for anyone that doesn't know, is Willie Chichi in The Godfather and also in Rocky. And uh, Taxi Driver. And Taxi Driver and also the star of the exploitation 1980 horror film called Maniac. That is that will probably be on your on your on your Add to list. the watch list. <laughs> <laughs> um, so for me, I went with um, and. This is way before I saw the Asphalt Jungle, so forgive me. So I went with Gene Hagen because before I saw Asphalt Jungle, I just immediately looked at her as as Lena Lamont. So I went with her here. I know it's probably blasphemous because of the as- how good she is in the Asphalt Jungle, but yeah, I went with mm-hmm. uh, Gene Hagen. What do you have here? Okay, so mine is honestly a really huge deep cut, and you might not have ever picked this up. But I didn't know this until recently, and I literally went like, oh, it's that person, uh, which is the whole point of this category. But if you remember at the beginning, when uh, Lockwood and Lamont arrive at the premiere, okay. do, you remember the, do you remember the fan that faints in the police officer's arms? I remember the fan that faints, but it's, that's... Who is that? that? Is, that is Leslie Caron, who was in an American in Paris and Gigi. Oh shit! No, I never noticed that. That's awesome. Yeah, that's a good. That's a good one. That is. Yeah. That is perfect. Um, this one, the Detlef Schrem Six Man of the Film Award, the Best Supporting Player. 
All right. So I hope we've got the same one because I think there's really one right answer here. It's <laughs> Donald O'Connor and Debbie Reynolds, right? Or we forget. I I, I excluded them because I think it's I think it's those three. I think those three are the heart of the movie. So so you, I, so you went with Gene Hagen. I went with someone else. Oh I went, wait, who I, am I, I missing? Went supporting Roscoe Dexter, the director. I guess yeah, that's a good one. That's a good that's a good pull. That's a good pull. Yeah, I I. I when we do supporting characters, I try to think like side characters, almost like uh, like if we were to do it for The Godfather, like Jack Waltz, Mo Green. Like so you those went people. heavy supporting. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I went more Dion Waiters, you know. So who come, is your... Come in, shoot four threes, and then leave. If we did do Godfather, would it be Waltz or Salazzo? I think it's either Waltz, Salazzo, or Mo Green. It's one of the three. I think I'm doing Mo Green just for the speech I, I, at the end. I might go Waltz, but but yeah, I think it's one of those two. Um, MVP Becky O'Shea, Icebox Award for the MVP of the film. It's a trio, right? I don't think there's like any other. Or do you, do you I, pick someone individually? I think all three obviously are MVPs, but I think it's got to be Kelly directed yep. and choreographed it too. I mean, yep. no no I, hate I, there. Going, going back to what I said, it's he's got such an incredible body of work, and it's still just like. That's his one. That's his masterpiece. And then for Peaks and Valleys, who peaked here and who had the best career after this or memorable career for peak musicals? I, I, I put studio musicals. Okay. I think this was I think this was the last of like the freed unit studio musicals, because after this is where we start to dive a bit more into reality mm-hmm. with like the King and I and West Side Story having a lot more like grandiose like sets i mean singing in the rain certainly does that but it still has that like studio feel behind it gene hagen um, or was it asphalt jungle i'd say gene hagen she got did she get an oscar nomination for she did for asphalt okay and that came out what year 50 i think so okay then yeah this came out after so i think her in these three years was her peak donald um, I don't know what he did after. That's why. That's why. I, yeah. I was... oh, oh, here's one. Tap dancing. Yes. I, I absolutely. Can't a, I can't. Absolutely. I can't think of a movie since the only movies I could think of that rival it for tap dancing have come before, really. And hopefully, this gets uh, taken down here. Movies about the silent era transition to talkies. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Damien Damien Chazelle prove us wrong, but I, is I, I there anything think... that close? That's close you can think of i mean the artists maybe and that's not even i mean it's not even like transition i don't even think it's real it's not as much about the transition it like kind of ends with it but Mm -hmm. it's this is more so just like the whole plot the driving force of it what about do you do you have anything that i'm missing here i think gene kelly maybe okay this is a discussion to have now now this is kind of where i wanted to get into like whether he falls on peak or valley so i'm gonna i brought up his film i'll let you start with like your thoughts and then i'll bring up his um while i get his filmography all right so i'll bring up i'll bring up the movies that i highlighted here so the first movie of his chronologically that i saw singing in the rain was the first i saw but the oldest movie of his that i've seen is anchors away with i love anchors away I've got some issues with it because I compare it often to On the Town, which is the other movie of Gene Kelly and Frank Sinatra. Another getting, one I love. Getting, getting Navy leave. I adore On the Town. Anchors, I've seen... away, I, Anchors Away, I do really like. My biggest issue is that it's 
it's like two hours and 12 minutes. Yeah, I that's kind that, of my... This is not a Gene Kelly film, but it's why I don't love Guys and Dolls. Because that movie has no reason to be two and a half hours. Yeah. And Anchors Away, of course, has the Jerry Mouse dance, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. I, I, I saw that in Family Guy, referencing that before. I saw the movie, so it was really cool to see it be Z- Jerry. Zigfield Follies? I've, oh, I've not seen that one, actually. Um... You mentioned on the town, American in Paris. All right, what what else you have here? I have his filmography uh, after Singing in the Rain ready. Well, actually, I want I want to go a bit more deep into on the town because okay. I think it's I think it's also one of the most underrated musicals. Period. I it's the first movie musical to be shot on location. The opening sequence was actually shot in New York, and you can tell. Um, it's also I I think. While I do prefer singing in the rain for dancing, I think I might prefer on the town's music. I think the I think the Leonard Bernstein score for me is just what pushes it over the top. And I've um, seen on the town on um, on Broadway. I saw it. A, yeah. I saw it a few years ago, and it's incredible on Broadway. Obviously, the movie's great as it is. Man, that's tough. But I mean, I mean, they, they are different because the movie did add some songs that I don't think the on the town musical stage musical does have but the songs that do overlap i mean they're all awesome uh american in paris obviously one best picture uh and then yeah going forward after singing the rain there's not much that i've seen but there's brigadoon which i think is perfectly fine mm-hmm. it's kind it's kind of weird that it's in a it's pretty funny to me that it's in like super wide scope because it was the first time i noticed how short gene kelly is yeah uh he directed then, uh hello dolly that's true. I, what he was he up? No, I think that was up for best picture, but he didn't get in for best director. Which was no, I don't think so. A little upsetting. And the only other movie past Singing in the Rain of his that I think I've seen is um, Young Girls of Rochefort, which is uh, Jacques Demy, uh, who directed uh, The Umbrellas of Cherbourg. Mm-hmm. Really, really good movie. You, de- I, I don't think you've seen that one. You should definitely check that one out. Um, and you haven't seen. Uh... Xanadu? I've not. No. <laughs> um, I think I'm ready to put him at peak here. You kind of convinced me here. It's tough. I it's hard to it's hard to say that, but I think you're right. Um, I, I mean, there's de- I mean, he's definitely made good stuff since, but I think like everything else that I would put near Singing in the Rain's level came before Singing in the Rain. Everything since I think has been a step down in quality, while good. Now here's the question that I point. Uh, we talk, you know, we have the Fred Astaire, Gene Kelly conversation, which is the only conversation I will take serious when it comes to comparison to Gene Kelly. Shout out to Helmer. <laughs> but <laughs> do you think? And I, I actually think that the answer is Astaire here. Astaire had the better post dancing career, musical career, right? I mean, he was in like the Towering Inferno. He was in, uh, he was in Santa Claus is Coming to Town. He's the narrator in yes, that I short. Yes, I forgot about that. Uh, <laughs> um. So yeah, I, I totally. I think you're right. Um, I think Gene Kelly also might have had a bit more of a behind the scenes career because I know he did choreograph and direct Hello Dolly. Yeah, that's true I, too. He was he was also in Inherit the Wind. Uh, Spencer Tracy, Friedrich March. That was a pretty good movie. Um, but yeah, I do think Fred Astaire had the better post career. And then we get to Valley, who had the best career post Singing the Rain. It's Debbie, right? Debbie. Yeah. 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 It, I don't even. Th- do you want to go through her filmography, or do you? Is there you can you you can hit the highlights. Um, let's see. She was in. 
Well, I I first saw her in Halloween Town. <laughs> so I was... Same here. That was my yeah. first movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I, I'll, I'll always love her for that. Obviously, singing in the rain, she's great. Um, what? Oh, There's a performance I'm waiting for. Molly Brown. Yes. Is that her? Yeah. Okay. She, I, I did see her in that. She's really good in that. I'm looking for the movie here. Um, there is a movie that um, I love of hers, and I can't. For I'm I'm blanking on the name. I'm very upset that I'm blanking on the name right now. Um, but TV wise, she's also she also did a lot of TV. Uh, but yeah, I I, I agree with you. Um, oh my god, I am really annoyed that I can't remember the the name of the movie. All right, I'll have to put put that in the show notes because I cannot remember and I am very mm-hmm. upset. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, I'm surprised. It's funny. This is a shout out to my wife that edits this podcast with me. Um, have you heard of the show? Because I know you're a lot younger. Have you ever heard of the show Murder She Wrote? Murder She Wrote. Yeah, no, I've not. with with uh, Angela Lansbury. So the I'm show not. the show went on for twelve years, and every star that turned into a superstar in the nineties. Or stars from yesteryear were on that show, and I'm shocked to see that she was not on that show. Because if you look at that, if you look that uh, show up, you're gonna see so many, um, so many actors and actresses from that era. Like I watch my '80s version of that is with Andy Griffith called Matlock. Not sure if you ever heard of that show. Um, the best lawyer in in, in the history of lawyers. Uh, yeah, and Brian Cranston was on there. Uh, Pat Hingle, Commissioner Gordon, was on there. <laughs> yeah, Dick Van Dyke was on there oh, wow yeah it, it, there's literally the second episode and that's like when the show immediately, immediately blew off it, it went off for 10 years uh nine years i apologize dick van dyke was in the second episode and he was the killer in the second episode mm. so just to see dick van dyke doing a role like that back then is uh is awesome um is there anyone else that you that comes to mind that had a great career after this hmm uh, I don't, it's kind of tough because the only like new star really was Debbie Reynolds. Everyone else, I think, had better careers beforehand. I mean, I can't really speak for Donald O'Connor's career. I'm, I don't know. I, this really, to me, seems like the only big like highlight movie of his that gets discussed. Yeah, I I think you're right there. Um, so yeah, let's I, yeah go ahead. I was going to say, I've seen, uh, there's one clip of his that I've seen. He danced in roller skates. Uh, so that was pretty sick, obviously. Uh, <laughs> I, I've got a question on him. Do you have a Do you have a particular favorite line from Donald O'Connor in the movie from Cosmo? What do you have? I can't think of anything. <sighs> okay, you're a cab. Never fails to make me laugh. Uh, <laughs> also, the... Um, when they're brainstorming for Broadway Melody and RF Simpsons, like, uh, Cosmo, remind me to give you a raise. Oh, RF, uh, give me a raise. <laughs> uh, so, I, I mean, yeah, every single line of his really is just his, his delivery is on point. I love his character more and I would more. Think that, and I also think that's probably the most surprising as to someone that didn't do more. Yeah. Uh, and, and another thing, really, I noticed, um, Going back to the Sinatra and Kelly musicals, Kelly really had to like help Sinatra when it came to dancing for those. Whereas Donald O'Connor was keeping up with Gene Kelly for all the dances here. I don't think because if you watch Anchors Away, you can see there are some moments where 
Frank Sinatra is like looking at Kelly's feet to like make sure he's right. But Donald O'Connor has the same confidence that Kelly does really. So I think that those two doing the dances, especially with Moses supposes and fit as a fiddle. That's why I have it on my list because mm-hmm. I just love their duo dynamic so much. And also shout out to Demi Reynolds uh, family lineage. She is the mother of yeah. the late great Carrie Fisher. So for that, anyone... that was that that was a terrible two days because I had seen. I yeah. like two days before. I so remember because um, Star Wars is my favorite film franchise ever. I just grew up on it. It hit. I remember I met Carrie Fisher three months before she died, oh. and she's one of the nicest human beings, celebrities I have ever met. She's so so kind. I I for my line, for my love for Star Wars, I was broken, but mm-hmm. I um uh, when Debbie died. I remember my wife and I, well, girlfriend at the time, we were shopping and was at Target, and then the text came in that she passed, and I was like, it just feels right in a way that they're yeah. together because mm-hmm. of their like. I don't know if you've ever seen Postcards from the Edge, the Mike Nichols film that Carrie Fisher wrote with Meryl Streep and Shirley MacLaine. It's about their, it's about a mother daughter relationship, an actress and that has drug issues. It's very on the nose. Um, yeah. And everyone that knows the Carrie Fisher, Debbie Reynolds relationship know how close they were, but how troubled their past was. Um, There was a, and if I ever find it again, um, I'll send it your way. There's a picture that came out um, that I think it said together in the rain or together or something. And it has Debbie Reynolds image with her with the raincoat uh, with her arm in arm with uh carrie fisher and her princess leia outfit and Aww. broke me to no end it was it was crazy man it was crazy those those it was two days right carrie passed on a friday and debbie passed on a sunday yeah no i think it was the next day I oh it was, was the next day it I, was I think right it away was the next day okay. yeah um so yeah debbie reynolds awesome i i you know people don't and because it's certain cinephiles just don't like looking at yesteryear the way we do it's very mm-hmm. you know people need to realize how great debbie reynolds was but let's end on a high note because we got really downer here uh so to finish off i have some singing in the singing in the rain facts 70 facts for 70 years i'm i'm not i'm joking i'm not doing 70 facts so don't worry i'd be like ed- educate me go for it <laughs> um, <laughs> the first two you actually already did so the first one i did was to make them laugh the second one i had was exactly what you said about debbie reynolds the two hardest things she's ever done was childbirth and doing singing in the rain. Uh, number three, after they finished Good Morning, Deborah Reynolds had to be carried to her dressing room because she had burst blood vessels in her feet. Despite her hard work, Gene Kelly decided to dub the sound of her feet. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's it, tough, man. That, 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 that was one of the things that I read about and I found really interesting, but it's something that I just, like, they had to they record it and then they have to go back and re-record the taps in post because mm-hmm. they they needed everything to be clear. Like it wasn't just for this movie; he did it for pretty much all of them. Um, so I'm not sure if his intentions there were like, oh, she like, may- maybe he just wanted it to be constant. Maybe he didn't like the tapping because I know that he didn't like her dancing at one point and caused her to cry, which led to yep. the Fred Astaire thing. Uh, but yeah, that that's something that I was just like, I mean, she put in a lot of work and she was really, I think, going with them in Good Morning. Uh, I, so. I, it's funny because that's the number that I've read so much about 
that led to certain issues. And like you said, I think they're perfect. Everyone's in perfect rhythm together in that in yeah. that song. So I I don't know. Um, number four, I didn't mention about Donald Con- Connor saying, "I wonder why um, they never work together again." Uh, but Donald and Connor um, admitted that he also did not like working with Gene Kelly. Oh wow! Yeah, he's pretty much the Kelly was verbally belittling. And he called him a tyrant. Uh, O'Connor said that for the first several weeks, he was terrified of making a mistake because he was going to be yelled at by Kelly. And it's, it's, uh, I did not know this. The original negative does not exist anymore. It was burned in a fire. I I wonder which fire it was because I've read about like different fires over the years that have like completely like destroyed like preserved like archives of original works for like different like sheet music film reels all that kind of stuff so i wonder if it might have been the same one but and i think the interesting i'm sure they have other obviously they have other you know negatives of the film because yeah we're getting yeah. a new tr- we're getting a new 4k version coming out in the next few weeks on on 4k <gasps> blu-ray so i i cannot Ooh. cannot wait to watch it on 4k i can't imagine it looks so crisp um more piggybacking off what you said about the crying uh because gene kelly knew that debbie uh debbie's crying will hold up filming gene kelly would use donald o'connor as his whipping boy when he was frustrated with debbie reynolds kelly knew o'connor could take the tongue lashing he really wanted to lay on reynolds uh who was only 19 at the time of filming and because of this he would pretty much throw as much shade towards Donald O'Connor during the film rather than putting it on Reynolds so she doesn't cry. Yeah. Well, actually, first off, Debbie Reynolds was 19 when they made this. That's insane. Which shows how great the performance is. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I always know she was young, but I always forget that she was 19. That's just, that's yeah. unreal. Um, this was Gene Kelly's trump card to get out of his contract with MGM. He later stated in an interview that he was angry that MGM had reportedly prevented him from accepting lead roles in other films such as Guys and Dolls. Can you imagine that? I I think it makes sense. I probably don't think I still like the movie as as much because of how long, but my guess is it would have been Sinatra and Kelly, not Brando and Kelly. I mean, Brando yeah, I and mean, Sinatra. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think Brando, I mean... Yeah, I, I I like Guys and Dolls, but I don't know why Marlon Brando's in that movie. Honestly, I don't either. either. Yeah, I I mean I my school did the show a few a few years back, so I saw the movie then, and like I mean I obviously love Marlon Brando, but not musicals, that's for sure. For not sure. To mention, not to mention getting another Kelly Sinatra movies. I mean, sign me up. Sign and me then up. <laughs> the interesting about his onset behavior is because Kelly was so hostile. During the filming of Singing in the Rain, MGM released him from his contract, mm. which is a very interesting conversation, not for this podcast, but for another podcast, just like the studio era where studios it, would pretty much be contracted to specific stars. A lot of a lot of younger cinephiles don't really know about the, mm-hmm. con- the, the studio era of holding them to contracts. It's a very interesting discussion to have one day, but uh, and how actors would get in and out of contracts back J- J- jimmy stewart was one of the first ones to get out of a contract and he started like pretty much doing freelance i think that's how he was really able to do like all the hitchcocks and all the westerns and all this different stuff that he was did he rko 
Do you remember where he was? Well, I know he was MGM before the war because he did uh, like Philadelphia Story. And That's did... MGM. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I'm okay, pretty I th- sure. I but, thought it was an RKO. But like after the war, like I mean, he did It's a Wonderful Life, which was like I think that might have been RKO, but it was like Liberty Films or something. And yes, started, it was it was Liberty Films, yes. Yeah, and then he started to do all these like different movies, so I'm not sure if he just didn't get back on a contract after the war or what he did, but I know he was an early example of someone who was able to kind of beat that system. Yeah, definitely we'll look to do a podcast about that in, in, in the future. Um, this was the seventh time Singing in the Rain was used on the big screen. Do you happen to know the other movies? I didn't, to, to be completely... What, 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 what are you asking... Um, this is the seventh time that Singing in the Rain was used in a movie. The song oh, Singing in the Rain. Oh, oh, um. I didn't know any of I, these. I, so. I had it in a note. It was first made for, I think this was a full title, it was first made for a movie called Hollywood Review of 1929. Yeah, that is it. Yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> that was the MGM second talkie. So. Uh, next Th- up this was... was probably like the musicals that they were making in that little montage. That you know, Broadway like, melody garbage. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Baby, Babes in Arms, 1939. Oh, the, that's Mickey Rooney, yeah. The Old Dark House, 1932. Wait, The Old Dark House? Isn't that like a horror movie? <laughs> yes. M- Mel- <laughs> Melvin Douglas enters singing this song, uh, somewhat inebriated. Um, then we also have it in <gasps> Speak Easily, Jimmy Durant. Oh, I know who Jimmy Durant is. I've never heard of that movie. Um, but I, I completely forgot the first time I heard this song wasn't in Singing in the Oh, Rain. yeah, yeah. That's the last one I was going to say. Um, <laughs> yep. Judy Garland, Little Nelly Nikki. No, I'm sorry. Little Nelly Kelly in 1940. Then The Babe Ruth Story in 1948. And finally, um, the also the first time I heard that song, um, because I don't know what the fuck a 12-year-old was watching that movie. but a, a, a Clockwork Orange, which, masterpiece of masterpieces. I love that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually met uh, Malcolm McDowell a few years ago. Ooh. and Nice guy. But yeah. it sucks because I'm, I'm God willing, I'm going to meet him in October. I'm going to meet him in October again because I actually bought, and I, if I can find it uh, today, I'll send you a picture of it, Jack. It is a... a uh, a piece that I bought in New York Comic Con of the Singing in the Rain poster Ooh. with um, um, Alex rather than Gene Kelly. But but it still has uh, Debbie the, Reynolds and Don. <laughs> it's the <laughs> font. It's also the font of Singing in the Rain. Everything except it's Alex rather than. <laughs> so awesome. yeah, so I, I really dug that. But yeah, man, um, that movie has an anniversary this year so we may be covering that in october oh boy are you a fan I, of it or yeah i am I, I third favorite kubrick probably it's yes it's also my third it's 2001 okay. the shining and then and then it's, um it's, it's 2001 eyes wide shut and then fuck um, and then i go into this shining. is why we're boys because i saw eyes wide shut actually for the first time four years ago and I oh, really? absolutely fell in love with it. And yeah. honestly, and the reason I fell in love with it had nothing to do with any of the quote unquote orgies that I'm supposed that was so controversial. Really wasn't that serious, to be honest with you, compared to the shit that's on television today. Mm-hmm. But I just like how the movie dives into the toxic nature of like 
jealousy, mas- jealousy, yeah. toxic mm-hmm. masculinity. Um, and honestly, a lot of it has that feel of like what Weinstein was getting away with as well. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you know, very, very vague, but I, yeah, I, 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 I shut is, is elite. Yeah. Um, all right. Last couple of ones here before we go. Uh, the film was well received by theater goers, but re- but recalled from Lowe's theaters by the spring of 1952. Do you want to know why, or can you why? guess why? Oh, okay. Um, hold. I, I, when when did it come out? Like mid late March. Yeah, there's something hold, that happens. It got pulled for a reason, but it happens. It still happens today, after the Oscars. Was that was that why it got pulled? Because yes. it was after the Oscars and oh. American in Paris got put back in theaters. <laughs> dang. Yeah. Uh, like Lena and Ma, when sound films arrived, many silent screen ma- screen actors lost their careers because of their voice didn't match their on screen personas. One famous example is silent star John Gilbert. However, it wasn't the sound of his voice that killed his career, but the ridiculously florid lines he had to say the lines that gene kelly's character speaks in the dueling cavalier are based on the same lines and killed gilbert's career yeah Uh, let me remembering those lines that makes sense to me and in the last four this makes sense because it it's very in line with a lot of classics like the godfather godfather part two 2001 a space odyssey the shining the movie did not receive good reviews upon release it it seems I don't I don't know. Very I, I, odd. I don't I, I don't I, that that one more so than others really like. I can understand why someone might not like two thousand one. Like, I agree. Especially, like if somebody's like my age, I can understand why they might not like that. I can understand why why they might not like The Shining. This one I just don't get. Yeah, I I'm I, I, I I just think I just think this is like maybe the most accessible and happy movie ever made. And I think like if I'm if I have to like get a list together of like quote unquote like classic cinema to show people, Singing in the Rain is definitely like I think it's up there with like Casablanca. Is like I think most people still today can get something out of this. And like I, Twelve Angry Men is another example. I agree one thousand percent. It's one of the most accessible movies from the early era of the Golden Age that would fit very well with someone today. Like I don't I don't see people would complain about it. Ironically, while I was giving mixed reviews, it's actually. One of the few films that are 100% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes and not shocked there. Um, I had mentioned about the 103 degrees and then Debbie Reynolds had to rub her eyes with onions to make herself cry for the penultimate scene in the movie. You knew about mm-hmm. that one? I did. Yes. Yes. And then because oh, fu- she thought it was kind of hokey. <laughs> it is. So, it is. Yeah, it is. Um, and then, but it still works. And then finally, the final shot end scene with the bill with the billboard for the fictional singing in the rain implies that Lena has definitely lost her position as uh, Monumental Pictures lead female box office star as Kathy and Don kiss in front of the billboard for their new film, Singing in the Rain. No further clues are given as to what Lena is doing at this stage in her career. The reason I add this is because we're going to finish with this. What happens to Lena Lamont after Singing in the Rain? <laughs> Does she still act? Or does she just disappear to obscurity? That's a really good question. Uh, <laughs> I I don't know. I mean, maybe she gets picked up by another studio, but then again, like she doesn't exactly. She's have, not talented. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say she doesn't have like the necessary skill set to be 
in Hollywood at this current time now that you need a voice. Um, what was I'm, I'm trying to remember. I'm, I read last night what the voice that Jean Hagen was doing for her character. She was doing an impression of somebody, but I can't remember who. I think it was another like old, like silent actor. But I, I know that's not her real voice. And have you ever heard her? She sounds fine. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I, I, yeah, Asphalt Jungle a while back, but yeah. Yeah, such a great voice. Uh, but yeah, that that wraps everything up. This is a great discussion, as always, Jack. Um, we're, you're coming back because I am happy to announce that Jack is joining us monthly as well for Chop Talk, which is our horror podcast, because uh, we've this, we figured there's, a, there's great to have guys that are passionate about it, but there's also a great opening to have someone that's seeing these films for the first time and i think jack offers quite the critique of these uh these 80s gems that we're going to be covering um look out for him to come back in two weeks when we cover they live the john carpenter classic which is one of my favorite carpenter films so i'm very curious to your thoughts when you see that jack and then next week we are going to cover the 25th anniversary of the Kevin Smith classic, my favorite film of Kevin Smith, Chasing Amy. Jack, before you go, do you want to plug anything? Yeah, be sure to check out the League of Cinephiles on YouTube as well as the Critics Circle on Instagram. Yes, and you can follow me at Real Talking and one half of the duo's tag team champions. Woo! Until next <laughs> week, keep singing and see you at the movies, kids. <laughs> <laughs>